Amen. Oh, okay. This is what happens when your dad joins you for church. Um, well, g- good afternoon, everyone. This is, I don't need this. Look, look. I'm loud enough, all right? Um, mainly because my laptop just thought it would restart itself right now. Um, grab your Bibles, turn to Luke 21 for me as we try and catch up with technology. Um, in that as well, as Tofi said, also, by the way, I am so excited that Catherine and I get to have baby buddies with Tom and Sophie. So we're, it's an exciting time as a church, so we're really excited for that. Um, we love them dearly, and so the, the fact that we get to walk this journey with them at church is very, very exciting. Um, as Sophie said, we've got the summer series coming up, people. A little bit better. If you can be a little bit more passionate, that would be really helpful for me today. Um, but yes, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel, and the series is going to be called Persistent Power. Say after me, Persistent Power. Yeah, so we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel. It's going to be a really fun and exciting series. On Thursday, we're having a launch. So if you want to help out in any way, either by helping out with some games, hosting, if you want to do some photoshopping or video editing or something else to do with the summer series, please, please, please speak to me or you'll see on the email that will come up this week um, an event, well, a meeting on Thursday at 8 p.m. where we're going to be sharing about the summer series and getting people involved. Good. Well, I think that's a nice filler time to make sure that everyone has got their Bibles. Luke 21, we are at. Okay, so we've been on our journey through Luke. It's been a very fun and exciting journey. We are in the last bit church. We should be finishing it by the end of the year. Some celebration for those who have felt it's been a very long series. I get that. Um, But if you remember, Luke 20 was this boxing match we described. This first encounter of Jesus and the religious leaders. And we hit chapter 21, which feels like a little bit of a break from this interaction. The religious leaders have kind of been backed off a little bit. We see them again coming in chapter 22, where they start to plot their next round of fighting to come against Jesus, which we'll come on to later. But we just finished this devastating uppercut from Jesus, where he describes the scribes, describes the scribes, in verse 25 and 27. Paul McCormack liked that little um, wording. I'm very glad about that. That was just for him. So in this moment, we have Jesus who stops speaking and looks up. Classic Jesus moment where he starts to people watch. I love the moments in the gospel where Jesus just notices people and either goes to them or actually uses them as a parable, uses them for what he wants to say. And this is what we have here in these four verses. Jesus looks up and sees a moment in front of him and uses that to be able to bring some teaching and some clarity. Now, I need to stop and caveat something very quickly here. As you would see already, if you've already looked in your Bibles, I'm sure you all physically have, rather than using your phones, mum. But, I I joke. But but as you can see, we are reading these four verses, which is about kind of this classic story of the widow's offering. Now, this this passage is often preached, um, often known as the widow's mite, if you read the King James Version. But it's often preached at times to do with giving and offering. Now, I just want to caveat this now, because if you've just suddenly gone, well, Jesus is going to be preaching about giving and offering, don't switch off. 
This is not going to be a classic giving preach of those kind of things. Though there is an offering Sunday coming up on the 4th of July, this isn't one of those preachers that is just going to be going, give money to Jesus kind of thing. So I really want you to, if you've listened to an offering preach before, don't switch off. Because I believe these four verses actually dive way deeper than just about offering. I think it actually unlocks something really important that we need to know about giving to Jesus rather than just staying and sticking with a money talk. So lovingly, stay with me. Don't think that we've just heard a money talk. Let's just forget what Jesus is going to say. Right, are we ready to read the Bible? Everyone's got their Bible? Great. Luke 21, 1 to 4, then I will pray and then I'll start my timer because we all know that I only started until we read the Bible. Right, here we go. Chapter 21, verse 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that you would use me as a vessel for your word. Let you be seen right now more than anything else. I pray that from these verses, we are wonderfully challenged and just are reminded by your glowing grace and reminded what it is to be a follower and lover of God. Freshly again today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, context time. Where are we in this story? Well, we are in the temple. Jesus is sitting in a place where he is able to see what's going on in the offering. So he's probably at one side. You've got this hustle and bustle, remember? You've got all these crowds sitting around Jesus. You've got these religious leaders. I call them clipboard people that are probably marking and trying to figure out what Jesus is doing. You've got the disciples in one corner, probably a little bit going... Jesus, I'm glad you can hold yourself because we are not going to step in. Probably Peter going, I could step in, but that's just classic Peter. And on the opposite side, you've got this offering scene that's going on. Now in the temple, how the offering would have been kind of laid out was having many receptacles for different reasons. So a different receptacle would be an offering for a different reason. Okay, so you had about 13, 14, some chests, some things that would look um, big and grand, but majority of them would have a trumpet-like orifice that as you put money in, it would clang. So it would make a loud noise in that kind of way. It actually links to, in Matthew 6, verse 2, when Jesus said, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. Jesus wasn't saying it just as kind of make a trumpet noise, so proclaim it. He was also referring to these receptacles that actually, as you put money in, don't kind of slam it in to make a loud noise to kind of make everyone know how much you're giving in. So you have Jesus watching and listening whilst all the hustle and bustle is going on. It would have been loud. It would have been vibrant. A lot of talking going on. But in the corner, you would have heard these different kind of clanging different things going into the receptacles that the the trumpet uh, like noises would come out as some people put money in and you would hear them different loudness different kind of tones in that kind of way as people were putting different bits of money in and so you've got the the rich at this time starting to put their gifts in 
Now, remember, different coins at that time would have weighed differently. So some of them would be like a big bang. Some of them would be a little bit more. But Jesus would have been able to hear how it was going on. In fact, how the um, shape was, was for the religious leaders to actually know how much was going in. We'll come on to that later. But then we get introduced to this poor widow. Now, those two words actually gives us a lot of context about this main character we have of this story. Number one, poor. She was poor. She did not have a lot of money. Widow adds heavily to that. So widow at the time, she would have been considered as um, a vulnerable, in the vulnerable category, i.e. in the first lot of the COVID vaccine kind of deal. She would have been in that original category. At that time, the welfare state, there was not a thing that they could pay. In fact, the money she was probably living on was what her partner would have earned before he died. So she wouldn't have gained any more money. If anything, the only way that she would have got money is from begging. So you see this poor widow coming up with these two small copper coins. Now, if you remember what coins look like before we have entered into this time of, of cashless, we've I've just bought two small pennies here, light pennies, two small copper coins. In their time, it's also known, the two small copper coins, one of them would be known as a lepton in Greek. Now, just for um, context, there's 128 leptons in a denarii. So the offering would have been around about 1.5% of a denarius, which Jesus had referred to before. It probably would have been around about an eighth to a twelfth of one of our pennies. It is not a large amount at all. It's a very small amount. In fact, the offering amount she gave was the minimal amount that you could possibly give. Because at that time, there was a law that for arms, i.e. for those you give for those who are begging, the largest amount you could give was two leptons. It was against the law to give one of those small copper coins. So she is there with these two small copper coins. Imagine that scenario. You have all these other people bringing different coins, putting them in the um, trumpet-like receptacle. And yet you hear, Jesus hears this soft ping as she drops these two copper coins into the receptacle not a loud clang not like everyone else these two embarrassing light toned pings as they drop into the receptacle and yet at that moment Jesus says not only well done but those two copper coins those two high toned pings is greater And is more than others have given. This is extraordinary. Financially, we think Jesus is not ready for the stock market here. It it doesn't really add up, Jesus. The economic um, uh, currency at that time, Jesus, you can't really do that much with it. Do you know how much you can buy with two leptin? I figured this out, by the way. You can buy around about three grapes, half a plum, or a, a quarter of a Kit Kat chunky. Not a lot. 
it's not a lot that you can do with how much those, that offering would have been. So why did Jesus respond in this way? Why on earth did he give this reason and give this statement in verse 3? Well, thank you, Jesus. In verse 4, he gives us the answer. That she has given all she has to live on. Or another translation says all of her life. All of her life. Please note, Jesus is not putting down the other gifts that people have said. He doesn't say that. But what he says is the amount that she's given means more value to her than the others. Giving out of abundance is appreciated. Of course it is. But it costs little to the person in the same way. But giving out of poverty, giving out of life when you only have what is basic, means giving up everything to honour God. Imagine this, for example. We all know that I love my sweets, so I had to use sweets in my analogy. Imagine if I had only maybe five Haribo um, happy fruities, is what it's called. Shouldn't have read that out. It's a silly name. Imagine if I had five Haribos and I gave out four to someone. How, am I, how many am I left with? Wow, that, to be honest, that wasn't confident enough that someone knows their maths. I'm, I'm glad someone came up with the number one. If everyone else can do the same, that would be really helpful. If I had 5,000 Haribos in a wheelbarrow in front of me and I gave out 4,000, how many am I left with? Again, Steve Collins, it would be nice if you could uh, join in because your mathematical mind is very good. But you're right, 1,000. I'm left with 1,000. The second is more generous in quantity. Of course it is. I'm giving out 4,000. But I'm still left with 1,000 sweets left and a great weekend. Yeah? But the first one... The sacrifice is greater in, in the fact of how many I'm left with my hand of just having one sweet left. We often look at the amount and we're often blown away by the amount, but we often miss the sacrifice. We often miss that moment. However, Jesus has always been on that level. What the amazing thing Jesus does is he doesn't count. He weighs. Jesus doesn't count, he weighs. Again, he's not condemning the other gifts, but he noticed something beautiful that is going on with this poor widow, that he doesn't count the two copper coins. He weighs the offering. There's something amazing about that. One gives from her want and lack. The other might give from their surplus, After their donations, they're still rich, but the poor widow has given all that she has to her name to say, God, it's yours. Let your will be done. It's tremendous. Now, there's two questions as I was going through. There's two questions that I wanted to answer. And I'm going to go through them and then we're going to finish. So bear with me. But question number one is, right, okay, Jesus is acting in this way. Does that mean that we are meant to give everything away? i.e. all that we have, all of our money, we're meant to give away so we have no money and we become the people of the land or beggar-like people. Because that's what she's done, right? She's given all that she has away and Jesus commending it. So the question we need to answer is, are we meant to be giving everything away all the time? Let's answer that. I don't believe that's what Jesus is looking at here. 
I don't believe that's what he's saying here, especially because he doesn't condemn the rich for the amount that they gave. Giving their comparison their financial standards. But let me read out and call out some theological reasons that I've just gathered to help answer this question of what Jesus is actually looking at when he commends her. So number one, Jesus and the apostles never gave all their money away. They had an accountant, a part of disciples. Yes, it was Judas. Yeah, okay, we'll, we'll park who it was for a second. But they did manage their money. It was part of what they did. Think about as well the parables that Jesus spoke about the good Samaritan who was able to provide a donkey, a lodging, and wine to a wounded man. What Jesus didn't do in that parable, he goes, and he gave him all the stuff, all that he had on his back, and sent him away. He didn't didn't question why the Samaritan didn't leave him with the donkey. He didn't question why the Samaritan didn't leave him with every single one of his possessions. It was the heart's intent that Jesus was calling out that then drives the actions, not the fact of giving every single thing away. If you remember the story that we had already in Luke, um, Jesus came across a rich man. And he said, to, he said to the rich man, give all your possessions away. Okay, Jesus, is this conflicting theology? No, because that was actually for that person. The point Jesus was making is, actually, you need to die to self to follow me. And what yourself is, is your wealth. So we need to be careful not to take what the Bible says in the context, take it out of context and make it suit what our theology is. We need to read it in the moment. And so if we look at that, how Jesus talked about, he was making sure that actually it was always about the heart's intent. Number two, if we look at the people that transformed their heart when they saw Jesus, we saw them change their mind about wealth, but they didn't give everything away. So do you remember in Luke 19 when we saw Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus gave about 50% of his wealth away. He didn't give 100%, yet Jesus still honours him. Why? Transformation of the heart. We read later in Acts about um, Barnabas, where all the people are selling different items, and Barnabas sells a field. That is a lot of money to contribute to the church, but it's not everything that he had. It's again looking at the heart in that way. Third point, just to call out, Paul models this balance between earning and giving. Bless you, Dad. He, He finds this balance... And he actually encourages in 1 Thessalonians having a steady income stream so that you're not reliant on actually offerings and donations. He, he writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly be- before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I.e., there needs to be a balance. There needs to be a balance of how you do that. It always comes back to, by the way, what that prioritizes, where your heart lies with wealth, where your heart lies and looks at these things. Let's take a step back even and let's go beyond that. If we look back at the interaction Jesus has been having about taxes, even in the last chapter as he's been talking about this with these religious leaders, Jesus made a a clear and firm point that everything belongs to God. Absolutely everything. The money we pay in taxes, the money that we don't. He honours the fact that there's money that needs to be paid in taxes, but fundamentally, he takes a level above and says, everything belongs to God. And it's not just money that we're talking about here. When we talk about everything belongs to God, that's everything. 
time. What you do with your, with your space, what you do with your home, what you do with um, how you live. Every single thing that we have in our life should be designed to magnify the Lord, to glorify the King. It's everything. If we look forward, we see that Jesus is about to prophesy about the destruction of the temple. This is big, you know, by the way. I, I hope you are ready for a few weeks of heavy preachers, because these are big topics to come. But he prophesies about the temple being destroyed because of its corruptness. In fact, the offering containers were not being used for the purpose that was set out in the Old Testament. It was there to help people. It was there to enable those who were vulnerable, but instead it was being used to line the religious leaders' own pockets. Jesus had just watched a vulnerable widow with nothing to her name put in her last two copper coins into the offering with great faith, believing something was going to be happened to her because she was told to by the religious leaders. And the religious leaders watched and let her do that. This is why in just two verses before, Jesus calls out the scribes by how they are acting. He warns us to make sure not follow suit like religious leaders. He says, watch out for the scribes because they devour widows' homes. In a sociological way, they pry on the vulnerable both emotionally and financially. Therefore, hear the way that Jesus is saying these words. We only get two verses here, but please do not take out the context of what Je- how and what Jesus is saying. These are not fluffy terms that is kind of like, truly, truly, I tell you, everything's fine. No, this is on the back of a battle that he is having a boxing match with dealing the corruptness that is going on the temple and he's just seen it right in front of him. He says these words, not out uh, nice wording, but he says these words out of passion and righteous anger of what he is seeing right in front of him. This passage is not a model of how to give. Please know that. This is what I'm saying. It's not an offering preached that way. This passage is not Jesus modelling how we should give in terms of doing that because he's calling out the corruptness that is going on right in front of him. I'm saying this to open up our eyes to the reality that some false teachers say when it comes to giving. When it comes to this. I've seen this passage be used in many different churches and many different preachers. But majority of the time when I've seen this is due to a church that uses prosperity as a way to drive the gospel. Let me read to you verbatim what one church, I'm not going to name it, writes about this passage. It says, By placing two seemingly insignificant coins into the treasury box, she secured the future for herself and her loved ones. Prosperity, her amazing faith and the power of giving with a violent, unstoppable faith. Now it's your time to give. Give me what is in your hand. Your time for favour has come. Donate now. Beloved, this is far, 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 far away from the gospel that we believe. This is not what Jesus is saying. We need to be on the front line and watching this. It's not about prosperity. It's about obedience. 
It's not about name and claim and therefore I gain. It's about actually I give and align to the will of God. It's continuing to make sure that my heart, my being, my everything aligns to what God has in store. It's about aligning to him, his way. Not letting the desires of my heart flare up and be what I focus on. I live with everything I have because Jesus has blessed me with it. And therefore, all that I do should be used to glorify him, not be used so that I might gain in different ways. We need to be really clear about this when it comes to the gospel that we believe. We do not believe in prosperity gospel. We believe in gospel-centric kingdom mission gospel. So I believe that Jesus is not saying for us to give absolutely everything for the sake of it. Number one. Question number two. Okay. How am I meant to live in a way that glorifies God then? Through my, including through my giving. How am I meant to give then? How am I meant to actually give, including with my money and all that kind of stuff, how am I meant to live in a way that glorifies God? Good question, everyone. Let me tackle it. Well, Jesus, whilst calling out the injustice in front of his eyes, he also used this as an example to call out something ever so beautiful. An understanding of what discipleship looks like and means. This scenario allows them to tap into a way to give an example by the reality in front of them. Her heart's desire, this poor woman's desire, with great earnestly was to see God would be glorified with all that she had. Yes, it might have been in a system that was broken, but her heart's intent was to say, God, be glorified with every single thing that I have. Even if it would put her in an uncomfortable state, not knowing who or what would provide for her the next day, how she could eat, how she would survive. But deep down she knew that God had her in her hand. So important. What would have you done, by the way, if you were in that scenario? If you were maybe next to the offering box, would you have probably stopped her? Would you, as the coins got in, like slow motion action film, dive your hand into it, just catch the coins and go, you know what, save that. Your heart's in a good place, isn't it? Like, well done. Oh, great and faithful servant. Why don't you go back home? How would you have acted in that time? Just give 10%. That's what, the, that's what the Old Testament says. Why don't you just maybe give one of the coins? It's okay. We won't tell anyone about the law. It's okay. What would you have done? What's interesting is that Jesus doesn't stop her. Do you get what I mean? Like, he doesn't stop her from putting in the two coins. He honors the fact that she does it. The beautiful thing is that God has the responsibility, God is accountable. It's God who's accountable for what is to come, it's God who is responsible for what's going on here. And the authority sits with him. Church, we need to be careful not to suffocate someone's desire and eager to glorify God with their heart centered around obedience. We need to be really careful not to do that because this walk is meant to be uncomfortable at times. So we need to be really careful not to let sometimes that nature of uncomfortability come in to go, oh, are you sure about this? going to make your life a little bit more difficult in that way 
We need to be really cautious on do- not doing that. We can't quench someone's thirst to um, give money to God more than they can afford. To dissuade a girl from breaking up from a non-believing boyfriend. We need to be careful not to, um, n- not to, encur- not to discourage an unhappy marriage from working uh, it through to become a happier marriage. Or a homosexual friend from submitting their sexuality to Christ rather than practicing it. Or a happy-go-lucky student to throw away their plans and go on mission. We need to be careful not to actually step in that place and kind of go, are you sure you should do this? Don't you want to earn a little bit more before you kind of do this? Are you sure you could probably stay with him? You know, as long as you're careful with what you hold and what you touch and what you see, you, you could be careful with and stay in that relationship with this non-believer. We need to be really careful not to actually stop people from being obedient and following what God is calling them to do. Or what God has called us to do. For how to be a disciple. If you want others to follow Jesus, then we have to walk it ourselves. Jesus calls us to carry our cross. Remember, earlier in Luke 14, the cost of discipleship is dying to yourself. The, the imagery of carrying a cross, let's just remind ourselves, is not just these two plank of woods that we kind of walk around with like a burden. It's carrying the thing that we are meant to die upon. Jesus prophesied it and lived it that we are going to see. Church, we're meant to die to ourselves. That, that is part of discipleship. Orange squash is not the same as fresh orange juice. You can't say, I can drink this instead of drinking what is the reality. You can't go half-hearted with Jesus if you're asking others to follow him. If you're calling others to fall into the discipleship of God, then we need to do the same. Get used to living a life deep in discipleship. Get used to being uncomfortable. Get used to dying to yourself and saying yes to serving. Get used to dying to yourself and going to places that you didn't expect, destinies that you wouldn't have chosen. Gavin and I sometimes during some weeks, when, when it just gets heavy and we get tired, we have to forecast our mind and go, yeah, but this is for the kingdom. I might be serving again, but this is for the kingdom. When we've had, we call it a noodles week. It's quite funny. It's when we, when our shopping is limited to really any type of noodle, um, maybe pasta or actual noodle, because um, it, it's cheap. Uh, but when it comes to this week and we have someone coming for food, it's very easy to say, if we've been busy, we haven't got a lot to offer, what are we going to do? But every time we just end up coming together and saying, no, actually we want to die to ourselves die to our impression of what people see of us and we're just going to love and serve in the way that we can just regardless of what we might have in our cupboards regardless of what we might have in our account we want to love and serve where we can i'm learning this more and more especially when it comes to being a future dad i've got to die to some of the desires and some of the things i want to do because the responsibility of being a father I'm learning that being a spiritual father to the youth, but actually dying to self has to be a consistent thing we're doing every day. 
We have to do it. It's about what drives our intentions, where we are grounded and founded. Beloved church, where's your heart? Where's your heart based? Where does it lie? Where is it grounded and founded? If we were to cut you open and to allow seeing what, what is going on in the inside, where are you grounded and founded on? It's about where you place your identity. What, what will you own um, and how the actions that come out of that is based on where you are grounded in. This poor widow decided to make an action that was uncomfortable for her life, but she was grounded and founded in knowing that God would provide. Thus Jesus says, truly I tell you, her offering has more value than anything else. It's very important we really understand this. We need to make sure that our actions are set out in that way. Corinthians 16, Paul talks about actually setting apart at the beginning of your week what is to go to God and everything else comes out of that. I.e., we're not giving God our scraps, but we're giving him our first fruits. Is he an afterthought to you? Not just to your bank account, but to your week, to your diary. Or is he the first fruits? Where does he lie? Proverbs 16, 7 to 9 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Lovingly, who's establishing your steps? Really important. When we make ourselves more special, more desired, more important in our eyes, they're less special, less desires, less important God becomes in our lives. We need to be really careful and especially in the area that we live in, in the affluent wealth that is around us. We need to be so aware to continue to die to this. And to make sure that actually we humble ourselves and recognise that all we have belongs to the king. Health, wealth, plans. Everything. Now, does that mean that I can give little? No, I want to be uncomfortable in my giving. I want to give. Not just with my money though. I want to give my time. I want to give my space. I want to let the living God move in my life with great glory and power. And if that means I have to die to my own desires, then praise be to Jesus because he did it first for me. Do we need to line ourselves in this way? Let me come into land. Actually, yeah, Ban, do you want to come up? That would be really good. He says this, says his laptop shut off. Okay. It's really important in this time. That when we look at serving in this way, when we look at giving, we're not doing this in a way that is about, that is just about the amount that we give and checking it monthly. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
I think it's really easy when it comes to giving and talking about the offering day coming up that we kind of just check the balance and kind of go, that feels enough to be uncomfortable. I think what we learn from this poor widow is that the heart's intentions to allow God to be glorified in her life was more important than anything else. I'll pray for the day that when we're together in the building again, we are in a moment that we're just praying to say, God, I just want to see you glorified in all that I do, no matter the cost. Now, that's a really dangerous prayer. It's, it's a really dangerous prayer to kind of add the words, no matter the cost, because what you're saying is, Jesus, you have the will and you have the, the way and the plan that I will follow, even if my life becomes really uncomfortable. But that's discipleship. Church is one of our values. Discipleship, mission, empowered by the Holy Spirit and community. Do you know the great thing of this? Is that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live. We don't do this by ourselves. Praise Jesus. When Hudson Taylor, when he went to China and talking about how this affected him, how it affected his mother, he, he writes this quote. If I had a thousand pounds, should China have it? If I had a thousand lives, should China have them? No, not China, but Christ. Can we do too much for him? Can we do too much for a precious saviour that loves us? The test here is to examine our hearts to say, what am I willing to give to the king? What am I willing to allow him to have in my life to say all belongs to you? 1 Corinthians 1 says, uh, if I'm to boast, is to boast in the Lord. Please stand with me. So on the 4th of July, we're having a giving day where we are raising money to continue to do discipleship and mission for the church in many different ways, and more details will come out. My heart in saying that is to prepare you not about the monetary value that you're going to give alone, but to prepare you to pray, how else are you willing to give to contribute to the mission of the church? How willing are you to give your time to the mission of the church? How willing are you, give, are you to give the space that you own to the mission of the church, to the mission of the king? What are you willing to put in to say, I am in to live uncomfortably? For the kingdom of God to advance. Because he put his all in for you. Let me pray and then we're just going to respond with a, with a song and then we'll close. See, in this moment, in this moment, I just feel actually, as I was preparing this, yeah, okay, I will say. As I was preparing this, just felt a continued sense of being challenged about God. I always feel like I want to give more, but it's it's not about that. I, I recognise, but it's about continued dying to myself to give myself to You. I just feel that over lockdown, that sense of giving to the Lord has gone because of being so caught up with what we have, and that includes health. 
And I just feel that there's a moment where we can kind of go, God, I just give my life once again to you. I give what I have to you once again because you gave it to me. And if that's you, if you want to put your hands as I pray, just a fresh saying, God, I give what I have to you because it all belongs to you. Then why don't you put your hands as I pray? I'm doing it as well. So you don't need to be embarrassed in that place. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that what we have to give, we would give wisely and obediently, but wholeheartedly to you, my King. Do your will with us. I pray that we would align to the will of God, not expecting financial or spiritual rewards back, but expecting the living God to move with great power and joy in our lives. We hand you the keys of Hope Church Seven Oaks once again and say, do your will with us. Let your glory be seen and let our lives reflect the glory of God in what we do. Thank you, my Saviour. Amen.